Okay, Carlos, thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's awesome to have you here. You are an entrepreneur, adventure filmmaker, and YouTuber uh, with experience at Red Bull and with GoPro. Uh, but before all that, how did you get started in your filmmaking journey? Um, well, it's been like a really long journey, to be honest, because I, I started actually making videos uh, when I was uh, probably like 12 or something. Um, I my brother actually got like the initial GoPro like I think we were probably one of the first people in Spain that ever got a GoPro and uh, and then yeah just started uh, making movies on that when I was like 12 and I made like a lot of shitty shitty videos um, for a long long time and eventually you know like from like five ten years down the road um, I started getting more like commercial work done well, there's there's a couple of things there I find really interesting. Well, the first is what what's the story of you guys being the some of the first people in Spain to get hold of one of the original GoPros? How did that work? Well, I'll, I'll probably not the original GoPro. It was kind of like I think it was the digital hero. I still have it with me actually. Um, <laughs> I keep I keep all the GoPros. I've got like from the number one till up to nine, which is recording on this now. So um, yeah, like my my older brother, he's always been kind of like you know like a tech geek, like looking at like what's new and up and coming and probably he's following a blog and like the at least for like the first two seasons when we were skiing here like I did not see a single person like have a a GoPro you know the classic GoPro on the head and people were always like what the hell is that blah blah, blah. and then um yeah that was like it was basically because of my older brother oh okay well good for him that's uh so you're early on I guess in the adventure filmmaking uh, kind of having the onboard onboard camera. You guys got experience mm. a couple of years before everyone else. Yeah, I guess so. Because he, he does adventure filmmaking as well, I think. I've seen him, his motorbiking. Yeah, my younger brother does, yeah. Um, so, like, I've got I've got two um, two brothers. And we're actually quite close, like, in age group. So we grew up together, I guess. That's, like, where my personality comes from. Like, more adventurous, more kind of, like... Um, yeah, it came a lot from, from my brothers, so... Uh, my younger brother does like uh, a little bit of like adventure um, motorbike trips as well. <laughs> okay, I guess was that very much a family thing then? You guys going out and doing your adventures together? Because I think if I look back in some of those earlier skiing videos that you mention, uh, as you say, what you're around twelve, so obviously there's some family influence there as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I'm the way I am because of my family. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. Like, uh, and especially on the travel side, like um, when we were kids, like. Um, I was very lucky to like our parents like my my dad he's a doctor and he used to take me down to Africa um with him on on his trips like uh, he was going on the summers and I got like a lot of like young exposure to like situations where you know otherwise people like wouldn't and especially like you know in remote destinations in Africa like when I was you know at 10 or something like this so um it I guess like my personality like has become like from my childhood and like always travels like with my with my dad so uh and i'm very like grateful for it to be honest um because i was i was very lucky at a, a young age to experience these things and it's it's just become easy for me like kind of in the future like doing the the things that i do mm, that's incredible yeah i guess not many 10 year olds get the opportunity to to uh do that so good on your dad for for bringing you along mm. man Wow. Um, okay, so I guess from from this kind of lifestyle, how early on did you choose to start picking up a camera and re recording and capturing things? So basically, it's, it's kind of like being second nature to me, like um, being, especially with the GoPro, like just filming uh, uh, um, little videos, again, skiing videos, like mountain bike videos and stuff like this. But then... Like I always did it as a, and I've always did it as a, done it as a kind of like as a hobby. Um, when I was, when I went to university, I didn't study film. Um, I don't know why, like I always thought it was kind of like, yeah, more like as a hobby rather than kind of like as a, a potential job or something like this. And, and I actually, I actually studied like management science up in the UK. Uh, but I had the opportunity to, to kind of go and exchange, um, and go and travel a little bit. Um, so I was in Hong Kong for a year. I was in Munich for another year, and then eventually moved to Australia. And within within like those years at university, I always took time to uh, whenever I had time or money, to be honest, because I didn't have much money when I was at uni. Um, was to travel and like travel in a very um, 
kind of like budget constrained way so it, it put me in situations where it was kind of like more like adventure travel I would say probably and and yeah just filmed um, a lot of that and as I put it on YouTube and it started kind of getting traction and then that led to like one thing led to another and it just eventually became um, kind of like a career path for me and, and sort of uh, my job uh, for, for, for a while. So it's a hell of a job, it's got to be said. <laughs> mm. um, so those, those adventures when you're at uni, I'm guessing these were around the times you did the the first major Southeast Asia film, Backpacking, and also the the Mongol Rally, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that was that was actually before going into university, to be honest. I, I skipped oh, that wow. bit. So, but, um, so, yeah, before going into uh, to university, I, I took a year off, um, kind of like um, before figuring out what I wanted to do, kind of thing. And um, yeah, I, I I did a classic Southeast Asia traveling around, and um, I got into filmmaking there. Like I um, I did a little video, which uh, I think got picked up in YouTube a little bit. Little and video. Then, <laughs> well, it, it's I, I watch it now, and it's so bad because it's like. Uh, <laughs> It's like it's it's been so like it's so long. I would have I'd do so, so many things different, uh, but yeah, like I, I I got like experience on on you know kind of like filming travel trips, and then um, my first big kind of like trip would probably be like the the Mongol Rally when when we drove uh, from London to to Mongolia on an on a eight hundred pound car and to raise money for charity, and I kind of like documented the uh, I like documenting the whole thing and, and kind of like I I remember editing that like my first week at uni actually so i uh when i got back from the trip like a week later i i was starting university and i actually edited that during during my freshers week i wasn't very social i was just editing because (laughs) um yeah yeah. that's so cool so was that when because obviously there's no time limit for, for the mongol rally but obviously you had kind of an imposed one there was that a pressure to finish early and push on through the night um yeah, well, in a way, yes, actually. So we uh, we we had up to um, six weeks, I think, to do it, and we did it in in five weeks. Yeah, because like we were all uh, we were all the same age, and we were all kind of like starting university, so um, it was a bit of a time limit. And like for those for those of you listening, just to add a bit of context, like the so yeah, the Mongol Rally is like a it's a charity race that's organized every year where you get a shitty car and you you drive it from London uh, to Mongolia and the objective is like it's not a race in a sense it's not a, a rally like a, a race rally it's, it's more like you take your time and and you take the route whatever you want and it's just kind of like the uh, the whole objective is that you kind of like go mock about and um and go and, and find kind of like a little bit of discomfort i would say uh rather than uh, you need and you know you go to these uh, kind of unusual countries we call it like the stands and and yeah it was a it was a very good experience having Especially we were four guys in a car in a tiny car for five weeks. It was it was uh, it was very interesting. Because mm. I I think the whole focus is like the unroute. There's no set route. You guys just kind of you stumble on, make your way. And the whole point of having a shitty car is obviously it breaks down. You're forced to chat to locals and kind of experience the the countries in a way that you wouldn't necessarily experience them if you were just naturally heading through as a backpacker. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's that's totally right. Are there any uh, highlights from that trip that have some good stories behind there that didn't make the final cut um i actually like so i actually filmed most of it probably say um so most of the interesting stuff is probably on the on the video but uh i don't know something that comes from the top of my mind it just there were so many different things like one time like uh, in um in kazakhstan we decided to like we actually like had 24 hours to get at the uh, get out of the country uh um, because our visa was expiring and we, we kind of like when we were doing the visas we did them like four months earlier and we didn't realize like you know we got kind of like our date mixed up so we when we got into Kazakhstan we said like you know your visa expires in 24 hours so you need to hurry up and like so we drove literally for um, 30 hours straight uh, from the Kyrgyzstan border to the Russian border in Siberia um, and it was just like driving through the night and we had like four flat tires at one point, uh, we started a petrol station and someone um, got kind of like a shotgun out and told us to leave in Russian. I don't know, the whole the whole day was kind of like uh, very interesting. And it was like, okay, we were in Kazakhstan for, for 24 hours, literally. 
Wow, that's a hell of an all-nighter, it's got to be said. <laughs> well, yeah, no, because I remember in the video, there's um, a part where you, d- you don't have the foot, you didn't include the footage, but you said, yeah, you had someone point a gun at you. So I was always mm. like, oh, Lord, that's a yeah, hell of an experience. So obviously, did you make it in time for the border then, if you went for 30 hours, but the visa was only for 24? Did yeah, you have so- any issue or...? No, so we actually, like, as soon as we crossed the border, we just kept going because it was, like, throughout the night. And we um, we went straight to kind of, like, the Mongolian border. And we actually slept right outside the uh, the Siberia, well, Russia, uh, to Mongolian border. We slept outside, which I, I wouldn't recommend people to do that uh, because we, we pitched a tent. And then, like, uh, it was, like, the middle of the night again. And then all of a sudden, like, you'd hear horses and they came and it was like policemen like all with flashlights and like what are you doing here it's like was like the border's closed we tried just trying to sleep and they thought like we were trying to break in or, or whatever and it was just like yeah i wouldn't recommend to pitch a tent like right in next to a border fence like in uh, in the border between siberia or mongolia well uh, it worked it, it, it got the job done didn't it that's so mm. funny that's so funny god was there any um kind of big big downsides big negatives on that trip where you were kind of really worried for you know your health or safety or Mm. Mm. no actually (laughs) (laughs) um yeah probably maybe easier at the time but now it's like it's it was like five years ago now so actually more like probably seven years ago now so um not not at the top of my head like uh maybe like close to like getting into car accidents uh because obviously we drove through so many hours and through so many cities uh, we actually saw like live like i think up to three car accidents where we actually saw them happening and once we nearly crashed so that was kind of like the i would probably say the most dangerous side of the trip but otherwise um maybe i think that's about it hmm. what's your why then out of curiosity what what made you choose to do the Mughal rally just before university Oh, so for me, it's like, um, you know, like I, um, again, like I, I came from a mindset, like, uh, from my family that I was lucky to travel, um, with my, with, with my dad from a young age to kind of like this remote destinations, but I'd, I'd never really done it on my own. And, you know, I was 18, uh, like really young and, and it was kind of like, I, I worked for like six months, saved up some money. And I had like, I set myself a budget and it was like, okay, I'm, I can actually do it by myself now. So it was that my why was really for personal growth, uh, really, um, to, to spend like those six months traveling. It was, um, at a young age, I, I'd, I'd highly recommend it to, uh, to everyone. Um, yeah, yeah. Like for me, it was like totally like personal growth and self-learning, uh, before going into university. And I feel like I actually, like the people that I met that were first year university that, ended up doing a gap year or like, you know, had experience outside of school. Um, I think they were like a lot more mature and, you know, like kind of like knew more or less what they wanted to do um, rather than just, you know, you know, following the classic, like, you know, you go to school, you go to university and you just do all these steps and you don't really have the, that experience um, by, by yourself. And then, you know, you might figure out that you don't, university is not for you and you want to do something else, you know, uh, but yeah, I think the, my, my why was really, like, for personal growth. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I really agree with that. I, th- I think the... Particularly the um traveling before university as well, because I, I really agree with the people... The conversations, at least in my experiences, that I've had chatting to people who have traveled before university do seem... Yeah, have, have the air and maturity about them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's not... It's not necessarily just um, like the fact of like traveling in a sense. So it's just like, it's just getting out of where you come from. It's like, so you're used to a culture, you're used to a specific set of norms, like a specific set of people. So like, you don't necessarily need to be traveling um, just before university. You can just go live somewhere else and, and maybe go work at doing something or like go do volunteer or something. You don't, like, it's not like you don't need to be on holidays all the time. Like, and and for me that was very clear it's like it wasn't like a year where i was going to be on holidays all the time it was like i had a uh for six months I, I was in paris i was learning french and i was working there where that's where i made my money to go traveling like i set up like a, a little side business to to get some income and then it was just like yeah i wanted to do specific trips like 
I, I've always been a fan of motorbikes and in Southeast Asia, like I wanted to do a motorbike trip. That's when I did it in Vietnam. And then again, the Mongol rally is something that, um, you know, like we really wanted to do and it had that, um, charity aspect on the side as well. Uh, which, um, which, you know, that was like another why. Mm. Mm. No, I'm a big fan of your, um, yeah, both the Southeast Asia and Mongol rally videos. I remember they're they're really something special. Um, you mentioned something about your side hustles there, your side projects. Obviously, you've got a lot of experience in the entrepreneurship. Do you uh do you want do you want to talk about your stages of going through various different projects and how you got into the whole entrepreneurship business? Um, yeah, sure. So, like, I've always kind of like been a fan of um entrepreneurship. Um, so when I was at at school, actually, like I uh, I used to sell um. I used to buy um, stuff in China uh, at an online website, and that was like you know that's what that was before kind of like Alibaba or AliExpress. Like I was contacting people in China and like seeing like iPhone cases or you know special headphones that you could get kind of like for for cheap, and I was buying them for myself. Um, um, and uh, and then at school, people were asking like, "Hey, where did you get that?" And because like I, I don't know, here in Europe there would be like. I don't know, a um, hundred euro headphones and I would be getting them for like 10 euros. They would obviously be fake, but, um, but you know, like I, I was happy with, with how they worked and stuff like this. And, you know, my classmates started asking like, Hey, um, can you get me a pair and stuff like this? So I just made a poster at school and started selling, um, importing stuff from China. And then eventually like I started seeing that it was it was working at school, so I, I just put ads on eBay on Amazon, and I wasn't even touching the product. I was just ordering it a, uh, from a guy in China, and he was sending it. It was, it was ultimately what it was. It was drop shipping. I know what drop shipping is right now, but like I, I didn't know what it was back then, and I was just like, uh, now it's like super popular. Um, but yeah, that would probably be like ten years ago. Um, so that was kind of like I, I made some money to to be able to pay for. Um, my travels uh during how old were you uh, if you don't mind me asking when you were doing this um 17 um i was yeah wow. and i actually i i used to sell cigarettes at school i never smoked <laughs> uh so so i used to also yeah i used to um sell cigarettes at school um and i've never ever smoked so it's kind of like uh um i was importing because i went to school in the uk for for a bit so i uh, it was very cheap. Um, tobacco was very cheap in Spain. So I used to um, import um, cheap tobacco and sell it at school, which was quite risky. Uh, but, um, you know, I was making a profit from that. Um, and oh, yeah, that kind of like allowed me to, to pay for some of my initial travels. And then I, I didn't really get into the entrepreneurship world uh, for a few years. So I was at, I was at school. Um, I started doing filming jobs I, um, as part of uh my my school degree i had to do an internship and i i started working at gopro and i worked with them for for a couple of years before i i kind of like set up my first proper um startup i would say like the other all the other ones like they would they weren't necessarily companies they were just like side gigs when i was a kid and they weren't very serious and they didn't last very long they were like just a couple of months stints uh but my my first startup was a a travel startup called uh, Friend Theory that I, I set up with, uh, with like my best friend Carlo um, and Guillaume, who, um, who was the technical guy. And we uh, we started in Australia, and that's when you know it it started uh, it started working, and that's when I decided to kind of like quit my job at GoPro and, and go full time on this. And and that journey was a three year journey, uh, which the the whole thing like the idea. That's how I met you, actually. Um, you were yeah, one of the early users. Yeah, I came user, to the, uh, to the you were one of the early, Yeah, you were one of the early users at Friend Theory. So, um, but yeah, so that's been a roller coaster of a ride. Um, and, um, and that's been like my, my prop, that I would say like my, my journey as a kind of like as a first time founder, which ultimately um, for various reasons and, and for COVID especially, like, you know, um, we actually had to um, shut it down a couple months ago uh but like right now i'm 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 in the midst of, of taking all those learnings from this three-year journey and actually starting something new so um so yeah and hopefully there's, there'll be more to come hey i'm excited well i'm excited to hear all about the, the new project obviously when that uh when that rolls around 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, a three-year journey of, of starting a company and doing that whole life cycle, life cycle, the educational experience from doing that for three years, what did, what did you get out of that? Was that more than, say, university? Was that more than... Yeah, like, so... Um... To be, I, I see a lot more positives rather than negatives in a way. So I, I feel like I've actually done an MBA. Like, um, because like the, the connections that I've made and, and everything's been self-learning. So like one thing that I've kind of like realized and that um, I think I've, I've done um, is to really focus on, on kind of like self-learning. So it's like if there, if there isn't a thing that we didn't know how to do uh, or there was a problem that was happening, you, you either do it yourself or no one's going to do it. It's like, um, and, if it, and if you don't do it, like the, the, the project doesn't advance and, and you get, and it, it dies. So basically like, um, um, I feel like I've definitely learned a lot like in this, um, in these three years. Um, and the, but the one thing that's, that I think that's missing from, um, and I think I, um, it's like, I've never really had experience at a big company, like uh, at a structured company. Um, so in a way I've done my trade-off of like, I've done like a lot of self-learning, which has been incredibly fulfilling and, and really, uh, really good for me actually. I, so on the, on, like, if you don't do it by yourself, uh, like, and you don't learn it by yourself, no one's going to do it. So uh, in a way you, you have to be very disciplined on like saying like on, on self-learning Cause like no one's teaching you anything. So it's like, you have to teach yourself. So I've actually like enrolled in a lot of online courses and I took them very seriously. Probably like most, I've taken it way more seriously than, than university because this has real impact. Like if you learn about something and you make it work, then it has a, an effect on your company. Whereas at university, you know, if you don't learn it, maybe you fail an exam, but it's like, it's, it's really like a direct impact on like what you learn. It's like what you get out of um, your your project in a sense and you have to be very disciplined on that on saying like hey you know this is um like if i don't do this no one else is going to do it um and it, it can like sometimes like if you were lazy about it then um your startup is obviously just just going to fail hmm well there, there's a lot to unpack there i guess um i think firstly i think it's the whole doing it yourself attitude I think you've clearly learned far more by, by doing that, running that company over the three years than, as you say, an MBA. I mean, MBA is a piece of paper that you're charging for the privilege of the three years to study under someone else. But I think there's a lot more, um, it must be a lot more satisfying to know that you've done it yourself with your very small team off your own shoulders. I think that's something real special. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, like when when it came down to the day where we said like, oh, we actually have to shut down the project. Um, and we had to notify the investors that you know like this wasn't going forward and stuff like this obviously it was it was a very hard decision to come come through but at the end of the day like Carlo and I we we sat down and said like you know what we've gotten out of this project is like so much so much more than like uh, than we could have ever asked for and and right right now like I feel like I'm in a much more better position to start something new or like to go work somewhere with like uh really like legit experience on like you know how to how to do things mm. no definitely um definitely a hell of an experience as well how, how many young 20 young 20 year olds can say that they've done a project that significant um so i guess the other thing is your focus on you mentioned personal discipline are there any personal philosophies that you know you place a lot of value in because particularly one of your more recent films um which is very very artsy i liked it, it was the art of slowing down i think and very much mm-hmm. touch that more kind of spiritual side of knowing to slow down and know yourself more. Are there any uh, kind of personal philosophies that drive you? Yeah, so basically, um, like I filmed that uh, that film at a time where it was kind of like we're going through uh, the shutdown of Nido, um, of the startup that like um, we pivoted to. Um, it was really like a time of like self-reflection and be like, okay, like, you know, what have we've done in the, in the past few years and like, we've always gone like kind of like full steam. We never kind of like for three years, like, um, you know, I've been traveling a lot. I've like been doing a lot, but I, I never like really put a pause and just kind of like reflected and, you know, on like what we've been doing. And, and like that trip kind of was like allowed me to, to kind of like take a break. And that's kind of like, uh, um, the, the, the aim of the film that like, you know, sometimes it's good to, um, slow down, appreciate what you have and, 
and really like you can say no to things sometimes and like you don't have to say yes to everything and and that like if you look kind of like more inwards um you get you know you know yourself more and then you, you can make the right decisions going forwards in a sense mm. no i like that there's um Hmm. yeah as i said it's just interesting philosophies to hear and kind of hear the background of the context behind that film because it is far more emotional i'd say than previous things that 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 you've hmm. made yeah, um, i like, think like throughout throughout my um the my filming career or like the experience i've been doing videos like at the beginning like i, I guess like everyone starts just like by just filming like hey i'm going traveling i just film it and then uh i just put it out there but like at the end of the day, like I think the most impactful films is like the films that have a story behind it and they have a why on, on why you're doing that and, and what are you gaining from that trip or that moment or, or that thing. And that's something that I've learned throughout my time at GoPro, like that, like really the most powerful uh, films, at least long, con long content films, um, are films that kind of like have a story. Um, and, you know, like... YouTube might be kind of like a bit tricky because like um, sometimes it's like uh, usually it's like you know if you put out more content you get more views you get more subscribers you get more uh, you, you know like you grow a lot more but for me it's like usually I, uh, I've kept the philosophy of trying to just put out stuff that I'm proud of and st stuff that's kind of like more meaningful rather than just putting content just for the sake of putting content and um and yet, that, that's why I've always kind of kept it as a as a side thing, and I've never gone full on on YouTube. And I I'm not sure I I will, uh, because it requires that you just put out um, content that like you know like quality uh, you put quantity over quality. And for me, like really the important thing is like just telling meaningful stories and 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 yeah. No, I I really like that. I really really like that. Yeah, uh, as you say, because it's still. It's very much a side hustle for you. It's very much a hobby, kind of. Mm. Would you say that's yeah? Yeah, yeah. Like it, it, it's a hobby um, that I, uh, you know, if I get good opportunities, I, I take them. But it's like, I mean, if I have, if I feel like I, I want to put something out, I, I, I put it out there. But I, I don't have the pressure to just like constantly keep posting. And I've, I've never taken up YouTube kind of like full time. It's always kind of been um, on the side. And I've actually considered like during this time to. Uh, potentially take it full time, and it's something that I'm still debating. Uh, but if, if I do ever take it full time, I hope that I uh, and, I, and the listeners uh, listening there is like keep me accountable for this, like that I don't I don't just start putting vlogs that are meaningful, uh, meaningless in a sense. Like I, I want it to, to kind of like um, have some meaning behind it. Hmm. Well, I think what's interesting is obviously the personality that that you give off um, in your videos by choosing to include you as a person and you on your adventures and your emotions and involving yourself so much in the story of what you're experiencing i think a lot of the fans a lot of the people who like you like you for you not just your content if that makes sense mm -hmm. so i think because of that kind of personality base the idea of a film or say a vlog of carlos costa doing something i think is more interesting than say a generic person doing something if that makes any sense because yeah, yeah i know what you mean yeah, you've established yourself as that, you know. Yeah, it's like what I, what I try and do is like just kind of like the, the films that I put out is just to be authentic and just be uh, myself. And that's why I don't put that much content all the time because like, you know, I yes, I do travel quite a lot. Yes, I make quite a lot of films and, and I move around. But like that's not my daily life 100%. Like, you know, like I, I, I work. Like I've, 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 um, I've had a startup for three years and I was at a company before and it's just like I don't, like this is not my full-time thing so it's like it's and um and usually like th those moments that like people see it's like yeah that's when i'm traveling but it's like i don't want to um kind of like just film my 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 whole life all the time in a way and and i don't, don't want to have to fake uh something that i'm not you know um so that's why I'm, I'm just uh putting the things that are interesting to me and like the things that you know might not are not necessarily as interesting to me i just don't put it out did you out of curiosity did you vlog any of um the life in the three years of the startup yes well like um yeah i, like I know that's not published but just out of curiosity um yeah well i didn't necessarily vlog um the um 
most bits but we actually did quite a lot of moving around like we went through a couple accelerators we went one in one in israel we were in san francisco for a bit uh we started in australia we did like a whole european road show for that like for 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 like 40 days we 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 spent uh, traveling around Europe, meeting users, and one of you, one of them was you. You came down to London, um, so I, I did film that, and uh, and and that was also like to to tell the story of what friend theory was, and and again, like, and I think that that drove um, a lot of the growth of uh, friend theory. That by the time we 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 shut down friend theory and we we moved to Nido, uh, which was a communication app that we were working on. Um, we at the peak we had twenty five thousand users, and, and a lot of the growth came from that organic and authentic like storytelling of like, hey, uh, we're just three guys that are in Australia. We want to build this. Um, who wants to take part of this? And you know, we're filming our experience on on us trying the product, us uh, meeting users, us kind of like the story of how the startup was um, evolving, and I, I, and I think that was. That was very um, important as well for me to document, to kind of like see, uh, and, and I, I love watching those videos back and, and seeing like, okay, that that's how things were going back then, and that's how it, it was evolving. So I think it was very, it was a very interesting thing to to document. Mm. No, I, I liked the. Um, I was a big fan of the when you were touring around Europe. That video that came out of it. It just looked fan, like fantastic mm. for for everyone who got involved there. Mm. Um, okay, so obviously very um, work work centric work based uh work focused sorry um what what about how did you get as you say you, you started with that internship with gopro uh, i believe that's in berlin i think was that was that office yeah that was in munich so um during my my second year university um i i had the the opportunity to kind of like do a year uh called like a placement year where i, I had to do an internship at a company and I was studying management science, which is very mathematical and has nothing to do with GoPro. Um, but, uh, you know, like I've, I, I always like hobby was a filmmaker, uh, uh, like, sorry, filmmaking uh, was a hobby for me. Like GoPro was um, like a company that I really, really admired. And I was also very interested in tech. So i i applied to to a lot of companies so i applied to gopro was one of them i was applied to facebook uh you know amazon google all the tech companies to to kind of like go uh, uh, on an, an internship and to do whatever so um but no one got back to me ever like i didn't get a single reply and that was so frustrating and um i was at barcelona at the mobile world congress and uh gopro had a booth there so i decided to go kind of like a got to meet them and just like present myself like, hey, uh, this is me. I'm looking for an internship. Will you hire me? Uh, and I went three days in a row, like, and I was probably that annoying kid that was just like, hey, hire me. I want an internship. And I just gave him my CV and kind of like hope for the best. And um, out of the blue, like, well, uh, a couple of weeks later, I got an, an, uh, a message on LinkedIn by uh, someone that was working at GoPro uh, that they wanted to do an, uh, an interview with me. And I was like, oh, this is great. Uh, this is awesome. So I, I had the interview with them and, and they started reading my CV. And it turns out that, um, you know, they tried to call me uh, a bunch of times with the, uh, with the number that I had in my CV. And it turns out that um, I was living in Hong Kong at the time and that was my Spanish number. So that was just bouncing all the time. And then they tried emailing me and it, um, I was that stupid that I had a, a spelling mistake on my email and you know it's those times where you watch uh, you read your cv like a thousand times and like uh, like the the description i just probably just skipped over it because i watched it so many times and i was missing a dot on my email so um they tried to email me a couple times and, and i never replied and that was a cv that i sent out to all the companies um, oh, so, no. <laughs> so i never got a reply from any of the companies but luckily uh, somehow, uh, I was very lucky that, uh, you know, Guido, the guy that reached out um, to me at GoPro, he was kind of like interested in my profile and gave me a chance by l actually looking looking me up on LinkedIn and, and reaching out. And uh, I ended up getting hired in the, in the marketing team. And, and yeah, and the rest is history. So it was kind of like, uh, <laughs> it was a very embarrassing interview, but it was also like, I think, it, I think like, you know, it would have probably been, I don't know, I'd call it fate, call it whatever. 
but like the fact that kind of like my my favorite brand and probably my favorite company that um i wanted to work with like they were the ones that kind of like reached out and maybe like you know um i would have applied to like a lot of different companies and maybe i would have taken a job at a, a company I, I wasn't that excited about uh but but yeah um luckily things worked out and Plus i started gopro i started a gopro doing marketing and then eventually like you know as soon as I, when i was in the company i eventually transitioned to to the media department and that's and when i when i stepped up my role uh from from gopro i i kind of like managed to keep them as a client like doing freelance work for them and and uh and then uh, i started working on my startup hmm. that's awesome that is hilarious if you don't mind me saying uh, <laughs> yeah. on all those applications you had the man wow well, yeah as you say call it fate I guess it, it's the fact that they were so impressed with you that they went to the effort of hunting you down. Um, I guess that, that's yeah, quite reassuring. I, like, I, I guess, like, I think, and I think, like, for example, the the the, the Munich office at, at GoPro that was something that they did very very well. Is that they they hired a lot for um, brand fit, um, especially in the marketing department. So it's like people that uh, they felt strongly would fit in the team, no matter the kind of like their skills, but they had like a very good strong brand fit. And that created kind of like, it was a very, very special time. And like, I always like, um, I have very, really good fond memories from my time at GoPro in Munich, especially like the Munich office. The European team was um, there, like the HR department and the way they hired was was really, really cool. Mm. Yeah, no, well, they sound like a lovely group of people. It's got to be said. Mm. <laughs> um, wow. No, because I remember there's a video where you're like riding on a toy, um, like a toy car thing around the offices. And I was always confused. I was like, I can't tell if this is sponsored, but I know I like GoPro more because of this video because it showed the office <laughs> life uh, that you were living. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a hell of a place to work. So what what were the circumstances of that out of curiosity? Um, that was like literally just like we had a little go-kart at the office. And um, since we were encouraged to kind of like get to know how the cameras worked and stuff like this, I just did a little video for it um so yeah that was like a normal day at the office i would say mm. uh just for context yeah that's a bit of a vlog where uh, how would you say you just d- day at the office playing various different sports and then you ended up surfing right in the river yeah 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 so like actually gopro had a um, in munich they they had a couple surfboards that you could take from the office and and uh some of the interns we went in in, in the afternoons um and we were very bad. <laughs> Everyone hated the people with the GoPro stickers at, at the ice back in Munich because we were terrible. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I don't, well, as in terrible at surfing? Yes. <laughs> like, I was going to say... Like, no, no, you say, you say. No, like river surfing is very different than ocean surfing. And, and yeah, I was terrible. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I've never experienced um, river surfing. I, I just know that you've done quite a few surfing films. So, yeah. No, improved. Mm. Improved quickly. Okay, well, mm. something we quite like to talk about here is kind of the impact of social media, how um, doing YouTube as a side has- hustle, how you got started in that, how that's impacted your life. Would you say that part of the reason that they liked you as a person, as you say, um, as a fit for the team, is to do with your YouTube channel? Yeah, um like when i when i probably got hired at at, at gopro they, they probably did take like a little bit um a peek at my my youtube channel especially that like all my stuff was shot on 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 gopro and i think my youtube channel has definitely helped in a um, kind of like as a personal image for um and it's opened like a, a lot of doors for me um so it's, it's yeah it's i think it's it's definitely helped um to see um kind of like to, to, for people to get to know like more or less how I am because really it's like the the, the stuff I put up on YouTube is like that's just me I I've, and that's why I don't put that much stuff out there because it's like you know if I do a trip I film it and I put it out there and I, I don't I don't try and put out stuff that I don't do or like I don't I don't like faking stuff in a way mm. yeah of course hmm yeah I guess because as well with you working for GoPro, there's something, it's one thing obviously to hold the camera in a booth and be able to talk about the technical specifications and it's, uh, for, you know, it's a completely other thing to obviously do do as you have done, which is absolutely batter the things for months on end and prove that A, 
they work in terms of you know they're not going to break and b the filmmaking possibilities the greater possibilities um that you have with a camera that is so uniquely small versus something like a dslr Mm -hmm. yeah well actually like so for um for gopro specifically it's like when i got hired i I wasn't in the media team at all so like i had nothing to do with uh, like filming or anything it was just like i was i was just there to um like my role was to work with athletes and like work through their contracts like sponsored contracts and and like plan events and all and all, and all that so um like the the job description had nothing to do with with filming but once i was in there like they realized that you know like i like filming uh that i wasn't terrible at it um so i kind of like transitioned mm. no that's really cool no i like that it seems um like good office good environment for to talk to each other obviously once you're in you get to know each other more and uh develop develop through that mm-hmm um okay I, i'm aware this has come, become very much a gopro conversation so this is the yeah. la- the last i'll ask about it was um how because you've done a couple of the creator summit summits now which is very much pure filmmaking that's very cre- cre- uh, creative based is there, is there anything about those experiences yes so so the the, the gopro creator summit basically it's like um every couple of years they um they get GoPro athletes and family members and creators from GoPro, and they invite them into a specific location uh, to present, uh, to showcase a new camera, and for for people to play around with it and kind of like film different different like all the different experiences that they're, that they're living in. Um, and they've they've held them in Hawaii, in Australia, in different places. But this year specifically, since um, we're in the midst of a pandemic, and we couldn't they couldn't get like 80 people together at one specific place from all over the world. Uh, what they did is like they they um, they took that budget and, and gave it to the creators and said like hey um, go and do a little adventure um, where you're from and film it and uh, come up with a video from it and so that's what um, kind of like we did this year so I I had um, three days to kind of like just plan a, uh, a trip around where I'm from which is Barcelona and um, you know film it play around with a camera and uh, and have some fun so I I actually invited like a, an old colleague of mine that was a GoPro. Um, David, like he's from Munich, and uh, my my co-founder Carlo, and we we just did a, a trip around here, around Spain. <clears throat> Was that uh, on the boats, right? Yeah, yeah. So we went <clears throat> went scuba diving, and then um, we took the car and went up to the mountains, and yeah, just did some mucking around. Mucking around. It's work. It's hard work. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, that's really cool. Um, okay, so what about I guess. Uh, your your first thousand, obviously the the theme uh, is what films or do you, I obviously it's what going on seven years ago now. But do you remember what films you did and what processes you got to your first a thousand subscribers on YouTube? Um, yes, yeah, so like my first film that I ever did, like I remember it perfectly as well, and I did it with my older brother, and we did it with a program Windows Movie Maker, I think it is, and. <laughs> And what we did, we were at home and um, we had a little tricycle and uh, and we actually decided it was a it was a, like a point and shoot camera, a really old point and shoot camera. And we duct taped the point and shoot camera to our helmet, which was like a pre GoPro kind of thing. And we duct, we duct taped then the, the point and shoot camera on the tricycle. So you got like those angles and it was just us going down a hill and it had like really shitty effects and I wish I I think I must have it like in an old hard drive like and it actually probably wasn't even a hard drive it was one of those discs um, and that was kind of like the first thing um, I remember editing um, and and yeah yeah I think yeah, that was the, the first uh, it's never published on YouTube YouTube probably didn't even exist and then on on YouTube it was like I, I go uh, to Mallorca in the summer, so it was probably like a uh, trip to Mallorca or something like this, which like terrible 10 minute long vacation videos. Like that's probably what I, <laughs> how I got uh, my exposure to learning how to film and edit. Mm. Okay, what about the um, kind of the use of social media and uh, how you've grown to, um, how you've chosen to grow on different platforms. So for example, I would use the word pioneer because there was a film that you did on Instagram, which made me kind of step back and go like, oh, wow, this is a really good use of Instagram. And it was the uh, mini Grand Prix that you guys uh, did in lockdown, um, which just for context, it's um, I think you and your brother 
uh, doing maybe a 20 meter loop, a 50 meter loop perhaps on mopeds just around a driveway. Uh, but you shot it as if it was, you know, traditional sports coverage uh, with all the sound <laughs> effects, you know, and I found that hilarious because I hadn't seen any type of film done like that on Instagram. Yeah, that, that was probably because like, again, like lockdown weekend board, um, we have like two little mopeds at, uh, at home and you know the whole family were, were quite fans of MotoGP my older brother actually works at MotoGP he's like an engineer there um, so we have like kind of like gear mocking around and, we're, and we were we were actually racing uh, my brother and I uh, like we weren't even filming it uh, and then we're like actually like this is pretty comical let's actually film it and like take it like as if it was like a proper Grand Prix um, so I got my dad involved like as, a, as like I'm like in the pit lane and stuff like this and 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 yeah, um, I put it out there. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's a great video. Um, but I I might I might be wrong here, but I'm pretty. Was it filmed vertically on smartphones? I might be wrong there. I'm pretty sure it was. No, it was it was filmed um, on um, on a 360 camera. So um, it was a 360 camera that was attached to uh, to my bike, and as I was we were following like then I had I had the angle I could choose between like filming my my brother who was always behind <laughs> or or myself who was in, in front so it was kind of like um so, so it was this hmm. I think um while, while while at the moment we've had the technology for 360 cameras it's rarely that we've actually seen them used well in an artistic sense in a creative sense because I mean obviously the technology is wonderful but if you can't use it for storytelling then it kind of um kind of goes to waste and i think as well with the 360 camera you used one with your um uh, on the boat i remember on a long long uh, on a long, mm-hmm. long pole which allowed you to go from inside the boat all the way out to hanging the to hang it all the way over, over the water which i thought was a really creative use of that technology well to, to be honest i think like 360 cameras are like one of the most creative cameras out there because like you have like you can do so much with them like you can choose like what to look at, when to look at it, and like you can move from like different kind of like, um, yeah, like you can go from like just seeing like a person to seeing like go into tiny planet where you can see everything. And you can you can get very creative. The only downside from um, 360 cameras is I think they're still very um, prosumer. So you need like a good laptop to edit it. Like it's, takes a lot of time to um, edit the footage to like go through each keyframe and like you know a normal consumer it's still relative like it, it's easy but like if you want to get like really creative and like do like really flowy stuff it's still very um, kind of like prosumer mm. okay which is uh, I guess how um, how di- digital cameras were back in the day 30 40 years ago um, there was something I was thinking about in regard to um, modern technology, uh, modern apps, uh, as you say, prosumer with certain technology becoming uh, more easy to use over time. Um, I, hypo- I hypothesized that uh, some of the best uh, filmmakers that are going to come out, uh, the Oscar winners within the next 20, 30 years are going to be starting on TikTok. Do you reckon there's any validity to to that idea? Or um, Maybe like in a way like what I I'm not on TikTok like um again like I think I'm more of a long form uh, content type of guy like longer stories uh, that they have time to breathe and you have time to um, get to know the characters and, and and whatnot that's why I'm on YouTube um, and TikTok is like very short form very um, that that like in a way it's like very kind of like just like meaningless videos in a sense but then some of them are like extremely creative. Because it's like, okay, you have 15 seconds to get people's attention. It's like, how do I do it, you know? And you, and like, you have 15 seconds to tell a story. It's the same as like, you know, kind of like writing a book. You have like unlimited, like you can write a book, like um, unlimited kind of like pages to write it. But then like the hard bit really is like, how do you consent that? How do you tell that same story in a chapter? And how do you tell that same story in a paragraph? And how do you tell that same story in a sentence? It's the same kind of like going to um, long, um, short form content. I think like, the most creative and like people that are like is like how do you tell a story in in 15 seconds or less you know and and that's uh in a way like that's why tiktok can be very creative uh but for me it's, it's i don't think it's for me um it's um i'm not on tiktok and i might i might be in the future but like um right now again like um 
yeah, it's um, I, I try to be authentic on, on the stories that I tell, and I try and put content that's uh, kind of like more meaningful. And TikTok, I feel like the uh, the algorithms is just like people dancing all, all the time and stuff like this. So um, hopefully, it changes for for the good in a sense. So it's like you can okay, how do you tell a good story in in, in ten seconds or less, and how do you get people's attention in that? Hmm. Full disclosure, I'm not on TikTok either. It's just uh, the the ones that I keep seeing coming out. Um, I'm just constantly uh, positively surprised by, as you say, people people's ability to, you know, maybe they are unable and lack the skill to tell long form stories and tell a, mm-hmm. as you say, a kind of meaningful story over ten minutes. But they're learning how to do it in ten seconds, and they're doing it every week. And I think mm-hmm. just by repeating that process, they're they're becoming. Uh, better storytellers but as i say it's not for me i'm not on it yet um <laughs> it's, it's like, very it, interesting it, it, to me though it, it's funny because like how tiktok well musically started it was uh initially like the, the whole proposition it was like that um it was for learning it's like you know like uh people don't have 20 minutes uh to watch videos to watch for example like a, a lecture so it's like um let's deliver short form videos that are educational so it was like educational videos but then like they started seeing that people started using it like you know the videos that got more traction were like not necessarily educational videos and it was like kind of like videos that were more like towards the entertainment side so um, it was lip syncing music and stuff like this and then that's when it changed to musically and then you know eventually became tiktok Mm. okay i think um it's reasonable to to say that audiences um attention span has decreased over time um Mm -hmm. you know what with the rise of social media has that ever i mean in regard to for example looking at audience retention or has that ever irritated you um because obviously you very much favor and excel in longer form videos on youtube um to be fair like i haven't really paid that much um attention to it uh in a way but like what i do and like um so like when I edit the videos, like, you know, will people want to watch this? And like, oh, especially like, will will I in the future want to watch this? And like, can, will it be entertaining for me? And what I do at the beginning uh, to follow kind of like this trend of getting people's attention, like if you look at my videos, usually they start with some form of context. So like um, they start with kind of like an interesting bit, like a snippet of what happened during that specific video or during that specific trip. So uh, it might be like, you know, uh, if I had a crash during a motorbike trip, maybe I add that at the beginning and it just like, it gets people's attention. It's like, oh, there's something going to happen. And then you start slow and then you like, you break it off and kind of like, and then you start from the beginning, but it's, like, it's called a hook. So you, you use a hook in the first like 10 seconds of video, five seconds of video, you get people's attentions, you get people's interested. And then like you can uh, more uh, kind of like longerly tell, tell, tell the story. That's nice. Yeah, keep it keeping people watching. Um, who would you say your kind of um, oh, sorry, who would you say your uh film biggest filmmaking influences towards what helped you develop your style, what what you saw and wanted to learn from or use? Um, so for me, like uh, if if we're talking about YouTube kind of kind of sense, um, I'm a big fan of um Casey Neistat. I think like um, like his films are always kind of like. You know, he can talk about his day, but like it ma- he makes it interesting. And it's just like, you know, he, he, like his filmmaking style. And, and again, it's, it's authentic. Like I, uh, I feel like he's, um, he's like definitely influenced me. Um, then Abe Kitzelwitz, like who's like the GoPro guru. He was like the first GoPro guy. Like he, um, I've been, uh, I look him up for most of the, uh, of the GoPro stuff. Like I highly recommend people go follow him and and probably like um the um what's it called the um the twins jack and finn like when i um when i watch them especially now what they what they've uh gone like they've moved away from youtube and and started talking about you know like real problems and like you know uh being activists towards like climate change and stuff like this i i uh i've taken big inspiration from the, from them too as well okay so where do you see then uh, your content evolving over the next uh call it two years let's call it two years uh, on youtube where do you reckon you're going to be um so to be honest like, like i don't know uh because i'm i'm starting a new project like uh from the tech side and i i um 
I do a lot of filming work that's not actually necessarily on my YouTube. Uh, that it's like um, I shoot videos for, for different brands or for different people and it lives in, in other places. Like for instance, um, yesterday, no, actually it's like two days ago, I was shooting a, a music video for Vance Joy, the singer. So that's obviously going to go on, on, on his channels and stuff like this. So it's like, I don't see um, my YouTube channel. I probably see it like kind of like as it is. It's just like if I, if I, if I do trips and I do interesting stuff that I want to share, I will, I will keep, um, keep filming and stuff like this. And I, and I started working a lot with a, with a brand called Tropic Field from here from, from Barcelona, which is, again, like they, they're trying to change the way people travel to, to travel more consciously, to travel more sustainably and um and kind of like helping them structure like you know how the content will be um the, the content will, will um what content they're trying to shoot and again like i'm trying to go for more the authentic side they, you know think about what you're filming and, and why you're filming it and and you know what story you're trying to tell rather than just like a video of people doing backflips in a sense you know um so it's like kind of like have a, a more of a, a story behind uh, those those videos Mm. that's awesome yeah uh, very much the, very much the why very much uh, story focused as you say that's oh that's just yeah that's really interesting so you see very much your youtube is um is a hobby there and it's always been a hobby kind of a side thing um yeah yeah i, th- yeah. I think that's and, and if I, you don't mind I, me saying that seems quite a healthy way to, to kind of view it for sure particularly in, yeah. in, in this day and age that what we're seeing recent, more recently on youtube and kind of mental health and how creators over time have started wavering a little that sounds quite a pleasant deal to to be going on in you yeah no i i think like for me like if i if i were to take up youtube full-time which i've never done like i'd probably be doing a, a very different stuff and you always have to kind of like give in on to like okay what's going to drive your growth what's going to drive you uh more viewers more subscribers and i feel like i would lose a little bit of the essence so yeah again like i think youtube as a hobby and i've been very lucky to have been able to grow it to like over 100,000 subscribers and I get brand deals from it. But it's just like, I, um, since it's not my full-time job, I don't feel forced to do it. And I, I don't feel forced to uh, to put content that, you know, I don't want to put out. And and uh, yeah, hopefully in the future, you know, I have more time to tell stories that I like and, and you know, uh, make films that I'm passionate about. And, and if I do, you know, like if I have an idea and I want to film it, I go out and do it. Um, it's just like a, a matter of like uh, probably like more like time constraints of like uh, do I have the time to go and do this and do I have the time to to go and tell this story and stuff like this mm. okay well I, I guess my last kind of consideration then would be um, we've seen before as you mentioned with Casey Neistat kind of the attraction of um, vlogging the culture vlogging the startup culture is that something do you think you'd be interested in doing uh, potentially yes um so it's like um at, at the end of the day is like what i put out on youtube is like uh one uh, for me um to look back and like to like hey you know like it's you know a lot of people take um writing as a practice to to kind of like get their thoughts together and stuff like this and for me like this form is kind of like filmmaking it's like you know how do i tell a story of um why this startup works and and how it works and and how will I think people like will be understand it uh, and to be entertained watching it? And for me, that that thing is uh, is like filmmaking. So in the future, um, yes, if it makes sense for me to uh, to to be in in that kind of form of such like have uh, ex- tell my experience of you know like this is how a startup works and 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 how it's going, I I could see potentially myself doing it. Yes. Awesome! Wow, the, the, the good the good thing the, the good thing the good thing about YouTube is that like if you can grow an audience and um, and you can kind of like grow a fan base, then it's it's a lot easier to launch products and ideas to to people because you have some kind of like uh, recognition or like people uh, value your ideas more because they they're, they're following you. So if you if you can manage to do that, and I've, I've been lucky to kind of like been growing an audience. So if I if I feel like there's something that I feel like my audience will like and will enjoy and something that I'm building, I definitely make a video for it and like kind of like promote it to my audience uh, saying like, hey, um, you know, because I, I feel like those people will, will actively listen to me more rather than, you know, just putting it out there to uh, to people that kind of like necessarily maybe don't know me.
Mm. That's very much the kind of jab, 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 jack hook, right? The, the Gary, Gary V. Yeah. Provide something of value. Yeah, that's awesome. Hmm. Okay. No, I think I think we're pretty much good to finish up there. Um, in which case, Carlos, thank you so much for joining me. This has been an absolute delight hearing these stories and about your um your background and how you've been brought up as a filmmaker. Um, yeah, thank you for thank you for joining. No worries. Thanks, thanks for everything, Tom. And um, have a good day. You too. Thank you. <laughs> All right. <laughs>